Hi everyone and welcome to the first episode of Constant Writers, a new series where I talk to indie horror authors about them, their work, their love of reading, their love of writing and of course about Stephen King. So we touch on King's influence on their own writing and they pick one Stephen King book to go in on a little bit more detail before we wrap up with the 19 question Stephen King quickfire challenge. Now I'm thrilled to finally start this series, it's been something I've been planning for a while and I couldn't be happier with the first guest to bring you in this first episode. One of the nicest guys out there and a terrific author, Jamie Stewart. So Jamie you might know as the author of Montague's Carnival of Delights and Terror as well as the short story collection I Hear the Clattering of Keys and various other things, one of the Price Manor books, short story Insula and as co-editor Welcome to the Fun House and the upcoming collection, Sacrament. He's a talented guy. He's always willing to shout out indie horror authors and he loves Stephen King almost as much as I do. Now in this conversation, you're gonna hear loads more about Jamie and about his work. And we're gonna talk in a bit more detail about 2013's Joyland. Quite an underrated, overlooked choice. I thought it was an interesting one to throw in here at episode one. So you will hear more about why Jamie loves Joyland and you'll get to get inside the head of one of my favorite people on the internet. So that's about it really. Sit back, listen, enjoy me talking to Jamie Stewart. And if you enjoy this episode, don't forget to uh, spread the word about this podcast, Constant Writers, whether you're watching on YouTube or listening wherever you get your podcast. Share the episode around, get more people involved and check back next time for another indie author. Anyway, here's Jamie. Jamie, welcome to Constant Writers. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thank you very much for having me. You're you're very welcome. Um, it's great to have you on. Now, now anyone who follows you on Instagram, which is at jamie.stewart.33, by the way, anyone who follows you on there, they they will know that basically, and let's face it, you are like the nicest guy on the internet, right? You're you're like the Dave Grohl of Bookstagram in my head. You know, you're, you're always there promoting, shouting out other authors, celebrating all the good stuff that this little scene has to offer and just generally being a really good, good human being. And I think everyone values you for that. But I'm going to say it right now. I don't need any of that in this chat because this chat is about you. You are the author of the amazing epic Montague's Carnival of Delights and Terror, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a bit the excellent collection, I hear the clattering of keys and other fever dreams amongst many other things. So Jamie, don't be shy. Talk to me a bit about how you got into reading, how you got into writing and like, where did all this come from? What, what's your origin story? First of all, thank you very much for that. Being compared to Dave Crumble is a massive honor and a privilege. Um, so, um, yeah, thank you so much for that. Um, where my origin story started. Um, I got into reading um, through Stephen King. Uh, it's quite simple. Um, I wanted to be a reader as a kid. I tried Arl Stein Goosebumps. I tried Harry Potter. I tried a few action adventure novels. I just couldn't get past chapter one. You know, I was a very energetic child and I couldn't have the, I just couldn't have the focus to sit down in front of the page. But I seemed to want to be a reader and I had already started writing when I was nine years old um, and they were kind of two separate things um, but my father recommended Stephen King to me as books that he read at my age when I was 13 
So I thought, I'll give it a go. I picked The Shining off the shelf because uh, I knew that as a film in some, you know, context, I hadn't seen it, but I was aware that the most, if I know it, it must be the most popular, thus it must be very good. And I read it and I immediately became a reader. I immediately just found my mind expanded beyond uh, anything that it previously known in terms of storytelling, you know, and most of that was based on films and games and that kind of thing is the bad guy, good guy, there's no in between, there's very little grey. That's at least the stuff I was being raised on at the time. Mm-hmm. But the shining, Jack Torrance, he's a good guy, he's a loving father, he has flaws, he's a flawed human being, and it's those flaws that lead him to become the villain. You know, that just sort of rocked my world and then for the next like two years straight i just read nothing but king and fell in love with books and reading and the written word and and how did that how did that impact on your writing because you say you started writing like when you were nine years old so i'm guessing you weren't writing horror stories age nine or wait no, no i was i was writing horror stories so like i started writing at nine because uh, a friend of mine got a, a copy of resident evil nemesis Right. the playstation and we were playing it and we loved this idea of raccoon city and these characters and the zombies and all this stuff it was just so fantastic and um we thought well let's re- like as a wee experiment we wrote our own stories based in that universe you know fan fiction kind of thing and you know i remember he took it really seriously and maybe you know we would spend like an hour writing my, my mate keith he have this one page of writing that was perfectly crisp sentence, punctuation, paragraphs, everything in order. And I'd have this five page sprawl of just words that were you couldn't read anymore because I'd written so fast because it was like I'd opened up a gate in my head and everything was pouring out and my hand was cramping because I couldn't keep up with the thoughts that was happening in my mind. And it was just this white hot feeling of inspiration and sort of like finding a story, finding the groove. I loved it for that and so I fell in right, uh, into writing for that so I just write we like Resident Evil fan fiction stories I wrote a, a Star Wars one that kind of meshed Star Wars and Star Trek together so Millennium Falcon but it had the Star Trek crew <laughs> which I remember being pretty good at the time um, and imagine, I can imagine that annoying quite a lot of people on the internet <laughs> if you published that today which would almost be worth doing it was three pages along and yeah I thought it was good, and uh, and then when I read King, it was like I I remember finishing it. I was on a summer holiday, and I finished the book, and I flipped forward to the front. And at, at King Books, as you know, will have a list of every book he's ever written or published. And I just thought, you can do this. This is this is an option. You can live a life where you write for a living. I want to fucking do this. This is me. I find where I want to be. So I said about after reading The Shining, sitting at uh, to write my own horror novel at 13 and I did and it's terrible <laughs> got to start somewhere there <laughs> but you have to start somewhere yeah see so, so, so you write your your own horror novel at 13 and then fast forward uh blank town number of years here and you yeah. get to insula which was kind of kind of where you sort of really broke onto the scene I guess really like before we talk about insulin because i know that was a really important one for mm. you like what what were you doing in those years in between was it was it was it just lots of lots of reading lots of writing and just honing that craft did you did you step away from it for a few years like what what happened 
I never stopped. Um, I wrote four novels, uh, four terrible novels, and uh, and I just kept going and going. And then I got stuck in working on this novel. It took eight years, and it wasn't that it was took eight years to finish. It had been finished, but I kept rewriting it and rewriting it. And it was more at that time that when I started that project, I decided that I wanted to write something that I could be happy with seeing on the shelf. So everything else beforehand, I was kind of writing for myself. And this was sort of a point, even though the, the story that I ended up writing wasn't as good as I possibly wanted it to be, I'd still making that choice, I think, change something in me. It made me go from, this is a hobby, to I'm going, I'm thinking of other people reading this now. And that was a lot of lot of heavy sort of, criti- sort of being self-critical all the time and stuff, and a heavy, heavy thought in my head because it was so... I got into this place of constantly redrafting and redrafting, trying to make the story better. And um, at that point, I was 24 and I was working in Asda. Um, and I suddenly had this idea while I was, I was working from shopping in Asda. And I suddenly had this idea as I was picking up a thing of milk was that there's somebody watching me on the camera. And I thought, well, that wouldn't it be cool if they could see through me. And then by the end of the day, I had the first like sentence in the first couple of paragraphs of this short story called Insular. And it was the only time I ever stopped writing that that constant rewritten novel to write this story, which took about two months. And it was so like, it was like a breakthrough moment in my head because it felt like for the first time, this was original. Every other story that I'd ever written was like, you know, Resident Evil fan fiction, it all felt like I can tell where the influences, I can tell I've been influenced by these books that I love. But Insular felt like so personal because it was coming from my place of writing about somebody who works in the retail industry, who works in that drudgery uh, of a job that's completely monotonous and you're completely abused. And I just felt like this is me actually being able to say something, but at the same time, everything I've learned from other authors and learned from my own writing I can put it into it and shape in such a way that it's not a personal rant, it's still fiction. And I mean, I remember that's probably about the time when I first encountered you online, actually, and like reading that story and seeing, seeing the reaction for it, which was sensational. I mean, it was like number one on Amazon charts, was it? I mean, it still, yeah. it still ranks really highly on Amazon and, and so many incredible reviews and praise for it. And rightly so. I mean, it sounds like bit of a basic question to ask and I almost like feel like I know the answer but what, what did that do for you confidence wise as a writer well I had nothing I had no input from anyone you know I was even afraid to show it to family members anything I wrote at that time because you know I were I have you know they would take the piss you know as you know as we say and um so I was in a place where I didn't really have any confidence and I wrote insert 24 but I didn't publish it until 28 it sat in my computer for four years. I had no confidence. That's very little confidence I had in it. Um, but I did show it to friends at work, or not friends, just people in work, and they loved it. They thought it was really fantastic. So that gave me a little bit of confidence to actually think, well, people did like it. So I was sitting in my living room one Sunday thinking about this story that was rotting away in my laptop, and I thought, let's throw it out there. And the ins- like it, it taught, and in about six days, it went to number one and uh, on Amazon and I was just blown away by all this feedback I was getting and all this attention that 
it just set my brain on fire for short stories and short fiction, which not, I had not been in that place for a very long time since I was a young teenager, because I'd always been trying to sort of emulate my, you know, my people I really highly regarded, so novelists, and I kind of stopped writing short fiction. So immediately once that came out, I was writing Trick or Treat, which was the next short story I released. Great. And and then obviously it's, it's, it's clearly had a massive effect on you in terms of boosting your confidence because you've been so productive since that came out. I mean, I'll make sure there's links to all of your stories in the description for this. And obviously you put out your collection. Um, I, I hear the clattering of keys, which is a, a terrific read. But then I guess what I really wanted to build up to is, is Montague, which I, I've, I, I'm, I'm dying to hear a bit more about. I mean, I was for full disclosure for those watching, I was very lucky enough to be one of your beta readers for it. I think I was looking back yeah. on my Kindle. I think it was like it's labeled as like the third draft or something, and then yeah. then got to see an advanced copy of the finished thing as well. And like, I mean, from from my point of view, just seeing like remembering some of the feedback I'd offered and knowing that there are other beta readers, and then seeing the finished thing with with changes and stuff was just great. But I guess I get the sense you had a lot of fun writing this. Yeah. So talk to me a bit about it. And also, like, I have to know, I mean, you just talked about how Insula sort of lit the short story fire for you. But then Montague is like this 100,000 word doorstopper, absolute whopper of a book. I mean, was was that what you were always thinking? Or is that just where it ended up going and, and needed to be? That's just, I'm very much let the story be the story. So um, Montague came about because my wife and I were on our honeymoon and we were on a roller coaster ride and there was a section in the roller coaster ride that was sort of like a ghost story, ghost train ride. So it was slow and it was dark and all these things were popping out. And it, it, I was sort of telling my wife as we were on it about how when I was a kid, I was so terrified of these. I used to get panic attacks in the queue. And she sort of, you know, we just, you know, said something else and we got on with the coaster, but I couldn't actually pay attention to the ride then because it was sort of like, I went back into my memories of that, that I'd forgotten about because as an adult, I'd actually, I love roller coasters. I have a great time on them. I find them very enjoyable, but I just sort of regressed to this point of, of remembering that kid who was so petrified of these rides and absolutely terrified. And I used to have this fantasy where because I was so petrified, I get to the front of the ride and the ride would break down and I would just walk to the end and the walkways of the ride, get out the exit and say, nah, it wasn't interesting. It wasn't cool. And I would come across as being very sort of cool because I'd, I'd beaten this monster. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I thought, well, what happens if that happened and you're in a ghost ride and it's all dark and you can see these wee green lights that say exit and that's the only thing you could see. And then there's something in the darkness that's worse than the ride itself. What if the actual like mannequins aren't mannequins that are popping out, but real monsters. And that was it. And it just became this sort of adding to it. It was like, right, the story goes in this direction or this direction. It just built and built on itself. It was originally just a short story about a young girl going in on a, on a roller coaster and being terrified to, you know, as you say, a hundred thousand word doorstopper. And, and did you have fun building the world around it? Cause it's not just, it's not just the ride. It's, it's the whole community of the, the traveling circus and and their impact on the town that you build and, and and it even goes beyond the town borders for some chaps well like i mean that that feels like a real i think i said when i reviewed it like I, the thing that impressed me the most was like the ambition you showed on this like you know a, an indie author sort of coming off the back of a bunch of short stories to like to really just go for it was 
was that fun? Was it challenging? Was it both? Like, how was it? It was completely, an, uh, it was an utter joy. The first draft, I wrote a first draft in 2018 and it was terrible. It's complete rubbish. And it would have been, and, and nothing resembles, uh, the only thing that resembles is the skeleton of the story in terms of what it did. But actually the whole second half of that first draft went in an entirely different town. And there was actually a road trip segment in the middle and all this stuff. And it went, it went way too long. And it was just, it wasn't uh, what it needed to be. But that was because I was doing it while I was at work. You know, not at work, but like while I was working. So I was coming home, maybe writing about 100 words a night. And you're, you're just exhausted and not really connecting with the story. And then COVID happens. I was, you know, meeting great people like yourself through these Stephen King quizzes that you used to boast. Mm-hmm. And I had, I was furloughed. So I had time off. And I I, found, I just thought it was, an, uh, it was an opportunity to see if I could write the way the writers that I, you know, actually are able to sustain full-time income through the writing, can I do it every day? And uh, and I did it in two months. I, I wrote in or Montague from the ground up in two months. And I just had, and it was, it was just a complete utter ball. And the reason why I think it was so much fun was I recognized that the story provided me the opportunity, having read Salem's Lot as a kid and falling completely in love with Stephen King's vampires, and vampires in general, and having read Dracula, and having read Robert McCallum's They Thirst, or you know other Brian Morgan's, you know, I Full of Ashes. I love that kind of subgenre, that creature, and it was my opportunity then to have this original, the story that I felt was original to me, that was coming from myself, from a, a degree of a newness, uh, and pay homage to those books that have come before me that I have loved. So those epics of like King, like Cujo, the set in Castle Rock, to have a fictional kind of my own creation with its own, you know, levels of characters of all different functions and all different parts of society and just throw a bunch of vampires in it and have them rip up, you know? Yeah, great. Well, do you, I know you've got, you, you're you better pre- prepared than I am for this. You've got a copy there. So do do hold it up so people can see in case they haven't come across it on, on Instagram. There it is. And um, yeah, and I mean, maybe give us a side view as well. Just so, just so you know. Not lying. It's a it's a chunky book, isn't it? It's a chunky book, and it is dedicated to um, the master himself, okay. and, uh, Stephen King, because I felt like there is so much in it that is sort of you know influenced by his work. I could not. Well, that that would almost be a perfect segue. Except I've got one more question to ask you yeah. about you before we go into into Stephen King. Given that this is a Stephen King page and all that, but. The other, I guess, the other avenue where people may have seen your name come up is that you you've been editor for a couple of anthologies. So, yeah. um, welcome to the Fun House from twenty twenty one, which very kindly gave me my first publishing credit as a fiction author. So that was that was um, real thrill to be part of. And um, at the time of recording, we've got Sacrament, which is upcoming. In yeah. terms of how that aligns with when this episode drops. I don't have a crystal ball. We don't know what, how that's going to line up. Hopefully it's out. Hopefully it's out or in the in the process of coming out. Yeah, and and if it is, the links will be in in the comments below and stuff. But I mean, in terms of just getting involved in that editing side of things, though, what what do you enjoy about that, and what what does it give you that's perhaps a a, a different um, a, amount of of pleasure compared to to the writing side? Well. Um... Welcome to the Funhouse came about in a very strange way because it wasn't something that me and Kelly Rockefellers, which I should mention, she's the wonderful co-editor that I work in these anthologies with. Uh, she's an amazingly talented author in her own right as well. And um, 
it came about just like really happenstance. We were suggesting, we were having a conversation with a group of people about how do you, what is a summer anthology? What can you do for summer anthologies? Because you've got lots of stuff with all their various parts of the year that really link it with horror, but other than sort of um, camp horror, like, you know, Friday, Friday 13th style sort of horror, we couldn't think of anything. And me and Kelly said at the same time, carnivals. And the reason why I had obviously been working on Montague's Carnival at that point, so that was in my head, that's where I was at. And she had an idea for a short story, and that's where she was at. And we were saying, like, we'd contribute short stories to it. But the publisher at the time didn't have the time to put dedicate it to himself to organize it. So he said, Kelly, Jamie, if you want to do it um, for me, you know, I'll pay you. And, you know, and that's how it came about. We just sort of fell into this position. And one reason I was really eager to it was because I had a story idea that I had had for about since 2009 that I'd never written and I'd always thought if I had a deadline on it would manage to be able to write it which became no strings um, so that was a thing but uh, I, the reason why I, what I found was that was like having you know announced this idea you know we're going to do an anthology on carnival horror we're going to do an anthology on religious horror it's seeing how everyone interprets that idea and their own interpretations of you know that setting you know like yourself your story mirrored you know, it's so different compared to anything else. And and what I loved about the carnival stuff is like your stuff mirrored. You can focus on one, say, some people choose to focus on a ride or, a, you know, a game, which you chose to focus on the mermaid. And I love that idea of like having all these creepy things inside a collection that kind of made up a person's passage through a carnival in some way. Yeah. Um, so you know, that's where I really enjoy about it. It's just seeing everyone's different interpretation. I mean, we had about 80 short stories submitted to both, um, maybe more for the sacrament. And there was fantastic short stories in them. A lot of them weren't chosen, but not because they weren't good, but they were chosen just because it became this really interesting learning curve of how do you put an anthology together? And I look at it like putting an album together. You can't have every, every, so that story be like stairway to heaven you know you have to find ebbs and flows you have to find different qualities and different kind of we sort of subgenres. you have to have the comic belief you have to have the sort of heartfelt tones so that's where we were looking for and, and certainly i think we achieved it to a great effect with welcome to the funhouse and, and with the sacrament when it comes out great great stuff cool well you've we've mentioned stephen king a few times and this is a stephen king page and we are sort of broadly here to to talk about him at some length as well so later on we're going to chat about one book in particular and we're yeah. going to do some other stuff but i guess to start like just from that that starting i mean you've already mentioned how important he is to you in your journey so like what what does stephen king mean to you like what's what sort of place does he hold in your heart <laughs> massive hole you know or it's just he made me a reader you know, I wouldn't be sitting here having this conversation with you. I probably wouldn't have written the books I've written now without him. Well, I certainly wouldn't. Um, you know, he was... It's just like Stephen King in his own voice feels to me every time. Like, it's his books can be horrible. His books can have the worst atrocious things happening to it. But the moment you pick up one, it's like putting on a cozy blanket sitting at a fireplace and getting in. There's a, the voice is like listening to campfire tales. There's sort of a coziness to it. And I just to me that sort of he is just pipelined into my into my soul to a certain degree of like what if you were to take apart the parts that make up jamie stewart uh, in terms of um a material that i have consumed he's he's the biggest you know 
uh, I suppose that's what he means to me, you know. And in terms of his impact on your own writing, I mean, aside from what you were saying earlier about sort of opening your eyes to the fact that, you know, writers can can make a living off it. Like, is, is there anything, do you feel like there's anything in particular, I don't know, any sort of points of style or ways of approaching things? Or, or is it just, is it just that sort of... There's things that he does that I can't do that I'm very envious of. Like, he's right. able to start, like, a scene and then that scene will then go back and talk about how the person got up to that point. And it's done in such a way that it's really effective and really kind of, it's every every sort of thing is a cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. You know, you're thrust into this moment, but you don't know how you get there. And then you get explained and it becomes even more, you know, even more interesting. And he does that really well. And I have never mastered that ability, but I'm, I'm you know, and that's just not me. That's just not my talent. I have other talents. But like, I just learned so much in terms of character is key. And I'm very much... A, per, a writer who always tries to have everyone walk on to the spotlight of a book, have something to say, something to want, something to need, and be more than just sort of a one-dimensional kind of thing, even if they are the smallest point. And that's what sort of, you know, Montague wouldn't exist without that ethos because the, able, the ability that he has to go deep on characters and create this sort of history of them to feel that you're actually living in someone else's shoes um, is what I strive to do with every person that I write about um, in my books. And I think that's what I've taken from him the most. I've asked all of the guests on this series to pick one King release in particular to talk about in a, in a bit more detail. And, um, and you've gone for Joyland, which I'm very excited to talk about and we'll get to in a minute. But I was curious, were there... Were there... Were there any others on your shortlist that you you almost plumped for that you perhaps wanted to give a shout out to here? I mean, you've already mentioned The Shining and Salem's Lot. Like, mm-hmm. were they close to being your picks? They were close. The reason why I didn't pick them is I wanted to pick something that I don't think other people would pick. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of people with a lot of stories about those books because of the length of time they've been published and because how fucking awesome they are. Um but, you know, there's other ones that are dear to my heart, like Little Men in Yellow Coats. I absolutely adore that. I call it a novel because the, the page kind of makes it a novel, even though it's part of Hearts and Atlantis. I just find the, the whole Bobby Garfield storyline within that story just so touching and, and it resonates with me in terms of his relationship, his tension between him and his mom. They're just sort of that, that I was going through tension with being a teenager and having parents and being a teenager and being rebellious and I was experiencing that, you know, as I was reading it. So that, I think it's a fantastic, well-told tale. And, um, and you know, as I mentioned, Shining, Salem's Lot, it's another one that's just really high up on my list. Mm-hmm. And uh, and also as an adult, and as someone who does what I do as a job, Dolores Claiborne massively speaks to me. I think it's the best novel that's ever been written about somebody who is looking after, his job is to look after someone. Mm-hmm. Um and I think that's uh, that's a fantastic novel, but I choose Joyland because I think it's an interesting reason why I like it so much. Yeah, yeah. Well, okay, well then Joyland then. So released in 2013, King's second book for Hard Case Crime, and mm-hmm. it's one of the. I remember when I did my 19 Reasons for it. You, you dig into it, it's like it's part true crime, it's part part murder mystery. We've got coming of age, we've got ghost story, we've got some supernatural stuff, we've got some terrific hugely memorable scenes of a of a man dressed as a giant dog probably some of the best scenes of a man dressed as a dog in the history of literature if we're talking about and it's just a, a joy to read and i guess i'm i'm curious as to i'm curious to hear why you picked joyland particularly 
like for me and anyone else who's read your work, they, they probably would have assumed you would have gone for one of the nastier ones. So, you know, there, there are some nasty parts in Joyland, but it's not like his sort of wild 70s and 80s stuff. So, so what is it about Joyland? Well, that's, the, that's I find it, I have an hist interesting history, at least I feel with Joyland, because it doesn't have the nasty stuff in it. And I didn't like it because it didn't have that initially. I mean, the way the book was marketed at the time it came out was this is Stephen King writing, you know, Salem's Lot in a Carnival. This is him going scary in carnivals. And that's not what this book is about. And it's actually that I got ir my irritation at not experiencing that read led me to seek out and write Montague because I wanted a, I wanted a carnival horror novel. And actually at the time when I finished Toyland and, and my initial reader was disappointed and I searched out for other carnival horror stuff. I read Funland by Richard Lehman and stuff. And I was again, disappointed by that because the actual Funland in that story is very, very mute. We spend very little time in it. So there's very few books out there other than something wicked this way comes by Ray Bradbury, which is amazing that actually are about carnivals and spend a specific amount of time in them. They're fundamental to the story. So it, it sort of inspired me in a way out of grievance, I suppose, to, to deliver on that. I wanted to read a book that had, you know, so I created the book I wanted to read and that's why I had such a fun time writing it because it was just me going nuts with Montague. But in saying that, I then did a reread of it because I believe my expectations were one thing and the book was another. And on the reread, I absolutely fell in love with it. I think it's an it's a beautiful, tender um, tale about a young boy who, um, a young man, I should say, who is in love with someone who isn't in love with him. And it absolutely devastates him. And I completely empathize with those emotions in such a way. And, you know, the fact that it's told in you know from a from a perspective of an older man looking back in his past that was what led me to write insular the way i wrote it because that's the way insular is written because i mm. find that there's such a that that way of communicating a story connects you as a reader so quickly and so well you know it's it's first person used in that way can really really tap at the heartstrings and and really just feels like a conversation between two people the reader and and the person of the book and um, so I love using first person for that when I feel it's appropriate. Do you think, I, I know when I read the book, I mean, I, I, I really enjoyed it both times I read it. And I mean, as we might get onto later, like I, the, even the second time, like the, the, the twist sort of caught me off guard, even having read it before. But I think the thing that really hooked me in was, was the setting itself. And, you know, King's so good at painting small communities and stuff, but like the way he drew the theme part together, like. I don't know. It made me really. It made me want to go there almost. Yeah. Did Did you Did you get the same? Like particularly second time round. Did you feel like it was somewhere you could pitch yourself going? Yeah, absolutely. There's such. There's. You know, I try to bring it to Montague in the first kind of instance that my main character experiences. There's sort of like this, re this revelation of it's so. Um. You know, this is where dreams are made of. It's almost like going to Disneyland in some way. You know, Disney World and and. and you know, as cheesy as that sounds, but it's it's exactly like the adverts for that type of thing is. That's what it's the way it's written, and it's just people enjoying the present. I suppose you know, it's there's no all the all the stress of life and work and and all that stuff is away, and it's just about enjoyment. Uh, this carnival, you know, and um, 
And so I, uh, I completely like respond to that and it's, I find it very touching and a very affecting, which is very difficult to do. You know, sincerity is a very, very hard thing to write. Um, and you know, King does it really well. Mm, definitely, definitely. And I mean, I mentioned the, um, the twist and obviously don't want to put spoilers in, but uh, look, first time in particular, because it kind of builds and builds and then it kind of drops the twist over the course of maybe one sentence at the end of the chapter. And it, it, it floored me that first time. Like, did it, did it catch you out or were you too, were you too pissed off that it, at it not being what you were expecting it to be that it, it was it didn't really catching out again, because there's so that sort of level, as we talk about that sort of sentimentality or whatever, the way it's written about the kind of carnival and, and I want nastiness. I wanted, you know, you know, you know, real sort of like Halloween stock in the, the, you know, the carnival boulevard and stuff like that, murder and guests every five seconds. That's what I wanted. Um, so I didn't appreciate that in the first time round. So even when the twist happened, I was like, all right. So I get one chapter or whatever it is about, you know, the actual thing I came here for kind of. Um, so that just annoyed me in the first read, but I didn't expect it. And I still didn't expect it when I re read it again, because there's very little in the way that could be interpreted as that person being, you know, the person, um, within it. So what, what would you say is your, your favorite part of this book, having, having come around to it and, and it, it being the one that you want to come on here and talk about, like, is there, is there any, any scene, any incident in particular that. I think there's a line that you know every person, no matter who you are, but this this Devin Jones, who's the main character, says, you know, I'm a what is it? I'm a prostate cancer survivor, but I still, and I'm 64 years old, but I still wonder why this person didn't love me. This person he was in a relationship with. It's not like he pined after someone who was like say, with someone else or someone of art. He pined after someone who was he was actually in it physical and you know intimate relationship with to a certain degree and he'd fallen head over heels at the time yes you could say it was puppy love because it's the first time he's experiencing that kind of you know a relationship but um he thought it still doesn't matter it still falls hard and it, it tells that that line responded to me that you know at 64 years later older as a man um it doesn't matter his gender but the fact that that's still plagued and that question that why wasn't he enough, I think, you know, is kind of a universal thing that we all feel about, you know, relationships or people in our life doesn't necessarily have to be a romantic, um, can just be friendships that, you know, go sour or just drift away from you. And I just, I, that sort of really caught my heart in a way. And it just made me think, you know, and then as much as like, I don't really consider myself to be a horror nasty author. Obviously I think when I, my, my, my philosophy is I'm going to write those stories. I'm going to write them as real as I can and go for the jugular. But at the same time, I'm, I am a big softy at heart. And, um, so yeah, that's what, that's what stands out to me about Joy Lamb. And what about, what about characters? Like, have you got a favorite? Is it, is it Devin or, or is one of the other characters? You know, Dem I love being in Devin's head, the whole idea that he just spends the whole summer and, you know, listening to the doors and reading Lord of the Rings. It's just sort of, and that's another thing King does really well. We were talking about, like, he's able to write scenes where he's just talking about a person living their life and make it really interesting. Mm -hmm. You know, you, this is a scene that any other editor would say, cut that out. That's boring. That's where you're going to lose the audience. Not him, you're just completely, he just knows how to deliver a line and or build up a character and deliver a line really, really well. Um, so 
but other characters, one of my favorites was the uh, young boy who uh, my name is, uh, my head is banking on. The young boy that he meets is wheelchair bound, and the fact, you know, his sort of, it's it's sort of a quintessential King character in that they're a young person with such hope, and it's a hope that sort of all these adults get sort of blinded by adult life, you know, the, 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 um, the, the stress and all this stuff that can get on way and the materialist kind of nature of adult life then can get you down. And he has, you know, a serious medical condition yet he is so hopeful and optimistic as a character. He's able to sort of say to these other people who are much older and experienced than him to go, Hey, this is the real thing you should be focused on. Mm. Um, that's what he always stood out to me. Was it, was it Mike, his name? That's it. Was it Mike? but that 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 day that he gets at the park yeah. where it's just him and his special day i mean that obviously obviously when it then compares to what happens after that it, it becomes even more impactful but i think that that chapter or those chapters were were particularly captured the real joy of joyland for me definitely one question i did have for you actually um very famously king invented the carney speak that is used in Joyland, it's it's not it's it's not kosher carney speak. It's King created. What's if if you were if you were going in there and thinking you had to create a language for something? What's what sort of what sort of setting would you feel comfortable creating your own um, lexicon for? If I would don't know if I would ever feel comfortable because I wouldn't think I would have the ability to pull it off. But I would try. I'd probably go for something more in the fantasy genre and trying to create a language for, mm-hmm. say, another creature, another race of beings like, you know, elves and Lord of Rings and they have their elvish and they have the dwarfish. You know, that's where I would go for it. But that's just because Lord of Rings and that has influenced me as well. Yeah. So obviously King is a, is an author who most of his works have been adapted into either a movie mm-hmm. or a TV show or something. Joyland's not on that list yet. No. For you as somebody who clearly, particularly now, has come round to this book and really holds it very close to your heart, do you want would you want to see it happen? And no. and I guess if he did, who who might you cast? Or would you rather would you rather keep it as just on the page? I'd rather keep it just in the page. Um if I'm completely honest. But you know, uh, because I just think you can't it's the power of that story is uh, how much you bring to it you know it becomes personal for the reader i feel at least i think that's that's where it affects me most you know mm-hmm. um and that would be very very hard to communicate on screen um so it would i think though the best person to have a shot at it would be mike flanagan yeah. and you know if i heard that i'd be on board with it so it would um i wouldn't really it, to me casting i can't really think about who would play devon jones but you just you just need a cast of hotties wouldn't you really (laughs) yeah well there's a thing there's one thing about it that you know devon jones is a character who dresses up as a uh as a dog isn't he and he's one of those people that does and yet he manages uh, during the course of the story to pull an absolute amazing beautiful woman and I don't think in reality that would ever happen. So he's got to be a hunk in some way. Definitely, definitely has. And then of course all the all the, all the um, young women going around taking photos and stuff. Yeah, I mean, you, you, if they did adapt it, they'd have to write really lean into the period and just. I think I said in my Nineteen Reasons video. I think I I think I've mentioned my Flanagan as a possible director for this as well. Like leaning on the heart, leaning on the on the hot cast, and just go for it. Yeah. Okay. Great. So, 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 last question on Joyland. Then, um, I'd like you to give me 
give me your three-word summary that would convince someone who's never read Joyland or perhaps has read it once and has maybe considering rereading it again. What would what would be your three-word summary to make them give it a go? Um, elegant, beautiful, and enlightening. Excellent, excellent. Almost words you could use to describe yourself, Jamie, as well. Adam, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> cool. So we we are almost done, but um, before I let you go, there is one more thing. Um, I'm not even going to invite you to do and ask you if you're comfortable doing. Basically, you need to do it before we finish the interview, okay. and that is to complete the the quick fire 19 question king challenge. So, so yeah. are you, are you ready to take that challenge? I'm ready. Cool. So, so for those watching, this is 19 quick fire questions. <clears throat> I have sent them over to Jamie in advance because it, these are cruel to put people on the spot with. Um, but we don't, we don't need thought. We don't need reasoning. Um, unless you've got a particularly burning reason you need to give out, but, but okay. just, we'll just fire through them and we will, we'll see where we get to. So the first, uh, 14 of them are specific questions and then we've got some either or to finish. So let's jump in. So question one, what was the first King book you read? The Shining. Question two, what was the most recent King book you read? Under the Dome. Number three, what is your all-time favourite Stephen King book? Salem's Lot. And question four, what about your all-time least favourite? Rage. Number five, mm. number five uh, what do you think is King's most underrated book? Jim McGee. Nice. Number six, which King book has your favourite cover art? Answer trick on. Um, actually, Joyland. Yeah, I love the hard paced time covers. They're beautiful. Yeah, yeah. The flip side. Um, what's your least favorite cover art? Um, it's a popular one, but you know that monkey version of Skeleton Crew. Oh, controversial. Yeah. I just, eh. <laughs> Fair. Those, these are your choices. Own them. Own them. No, I'll, I'll change. I'll change that. The, um, what's it called? Um, oh, it's the collection. It's the third one. Uh, Nightmares and Dreamscapes. There's a cover that has a, skel- a scarecrow in the middle of the road. Mm-hmm. That story does not exist inside that collection, and that really pisses me off. I'd love to see him write a scarecrow story. Yeah, it's like it's like the Everything's Eventual with the lighthouse on in every UK edition, and there's yeah. a story about a lighthouse. Yeah, I'm 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 with you on that. I mean, I do like that Nightmares and Dreamscapes cover, yeah. but I'm with you. Like, I like the cover story. Giving you that story, don't you know? Okay, uh, I've lost count of what number we're up to, but the next question is, what is the one King book you could recommend to anyone? 11, 22, 63. What's your favourite King movie or TV adaptation? Doctor Sleep. And your least favourite? The Mangler. It is an interesting one. If I if I said to you you could have any Stephen King character to have a cameo in one of your stories, who would you have? Oh God! <laughs> uh, anyone? Mm-hmm. Barlam. Oh, you've gone through the dark side. I like it. Mm. Cool. Um, which King book or story would you say is the most similar to your own style of writing? Ah, uh, slower. <laughs> yeah. And then last before last from this initial set of questions. And this is this is potentially a tough one, but I just want you to give me one book from King for each of these. So one King book that you keep forever, one King book that you read only once, and one King book 
you delete from existence. Okay. Since I've already said something, I won't do the same. So road work, delete forever. Okay. Uh, read up end of watch. I would read only once, which I have. Don't need to read it again. Mm-hmm. And keep forever. Um, trying to think of one I haven't picked. I was going to say go with your heart. You can pick one that you've already picked. I don't. Well, my heart, then it would be it. I would never. Okay. It. Yeah. Okay. And then final five of this nineteen question challenge. This is a straight either or. And again, if you if you want to offer reasons, you can. Mm-hmm. Um, but you don't have to. So either or. Book or the movie? Book. The stand or it? It. A holiday in Derry or a night at the Overlook? Uh, a night at the Overlook because it's one night. Whereas <laughs> the holiday could be like two weeks or a month. Yeah, yeah, good call. <laughs> um, short story or full novel? Full novel. And lastly, would you rather go for walkies with Cujo or have a weekend away with Annie Wilkes? Cujo. He was a good boy. He was a good boy. He was a yeah. good boy. It wasn't his fault. It was the bats. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Stupid bats. Great <laughs> stuff. <laughs> well, Jamie, terrific stuff. Thank you so much for your time and for for coming and chatting about your stuff and about and about King. And for picking for, for picking a perhaps um, lesser spotted King as well. I think that's that's a really great one to have into this series. Before we go, um, I mean, we've obviously we've mentioned all of your stuff, and I'll make sure links are in the bottom. But please just. I, w- I want to hear from you a, a quick plug of of your stuff what you're up to where people can find you as well which ones people should go and check out first all of those kind of things so the floor is yours plug away um well i think the first thing you should check out is montague's carnival of delights and terror it's my big massive novel that i like to think of as kind of like the best way to get introduced into anything i'm doing as a writer and because it's also a love letter for everything that i've been influenced by um, I'm also I've also written Price Manor, The House That Bleeds, which is part of a series of novellas about a haunted house that can appear anywhere in time or history, and that's currently getting rebranded. So the covers I have now are going to completely change, and it's all going to and the whole series is going to change. And the other authors, Mike Salt and Kelly Brocklehurst and Michael Goodwin, and the other authors that we've got in secret coming down the pipeline are coming out with more stuff. So you'll be you'll be getting you can see more from that. And uh, and next year I've got another novel out called the cult of, the cult of Queenie, um, which is an Irish uh, historical zombie horror novel. Nice, nice. And I would also I know I asked you to plug it, but I would also throw in recommendations for your short works as well. I think your collection here, the clattering of keys, is excellent. Um, really, really fun read. A really good starting point as well. If um, nice. people are perhaps intimidated by the. Uh, the beast that is Montague, but I'm with you. I think I think just go for it. And particularly, I mean, I know when this drops, we'll probably be in still in the in the dregs of winter or maybe early spring. Particularly if people are looking for a summer blockbuster read, Montague is in yeah. ticks all the boxes. It's um it's a great one to get lost in. Um, and Jamie, where can where can people find you and find your work? Uh, I'm on Instagram at jamie.stuart.33. I am on Twitter, but I don't know my handle because there's a lot of numbers. And uh, and I am on TikTok, um, but I'm terrible on TikTok. So go to Instagram and follow me there and we'll chat about books and and movies and things like that. Great. And of course, you can, we'll put the links in the, in the description below, but you can pick up all of Jamie's work on Amazon and presumably in other places that sell 
good fiction and from Jamie himself. I know he occasionally uh, buys a few copies and uh, can maybe sort him yeah, out if, and if, if, wants, if anyone wants something like that, they want to sign copy, all I have to do is ask. I'm happy to get it and um, per demand. Great. And and also, as I mentioned right at the start, here's the Dave Grohler bookstagram. So not only if you follow Jamie on Instagram will you get to set today what Jamie's doing, but you will also get you will be flooded with recommendations of other great indie authors to check out because Jamie is a, is a very good, kind man who um who isn't afraid to shout out other people alongside his own work. So uh, great, great stuff. Jamie, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. Um, thank you for, for joining the Constant Writers roster and um, good luck with all of the new stuff that's coming out and um, take care. Thank you very much for having me. So there we go. Thanks so much to Jamie for his time. And do go and check out his work. He's an incredible author. And I think if you like Stephen King, you'll really enjoy his stuff, particularly Montague. It is a chunky doorstopper that will suck you in and you will not be able to put it down. A couple of things before I go. If you enjoyed this episode, share it around and do tell other people about it, whether you're listening as a podcast or whether you're watching on YouTube. Any help spreading the word is much much appreciated you can of course follow this podcast if you're listening or you can subscribe to my youtube channel so you don't miss any future episodes other things you can do do go and check out my youtube channel dave reads king if you're not already on there you can find me giving you 19 reasons to read each of stephen king's books and i've just started going through the movies and tv adaptations and a couple of other things you can do as well you can subscribe using the link in the description to my mailing list why would you do that? For starters, you get an e-copy of my mini collection, Mirrored plus 10 Tiny Tales of Terror. That's a bunch of very short horror stories from me. You get that for free just for signing up. And it emails itself once a week in your inbox, an indie horror author to check out. And if you listen to this podcast, then I guess you like seeking out indie authors and you'll get another short story from me every week, as well as a few other things, depending on what's going on. And lastly, you can also pick up a copy of the ultimate Stephen King quiz book, which I published at the end of last year, spent a couple of years writing over 3,000 questions on all things Stephen King, every book, every movie, and a bunch of other stuff there. 172 individual 19 question quizzes. It's available now on Amazon and on Barnes and Noble. Links are in the description. If you're a King fan, do go and pick it up. Otherwise, thank you so much for checking out episode one of Constant Writers got five more brilliant ones still to come in this first season so don't go anywhere we'll be right back very soon with another constant writer